0: Greetings, friends of the great beyond. This is your ghost, I mean host, ready to take you behind the veil of terror and leftist critique. Welcome to the Horror Vanguard. And welcome to uh, a very interesting and what is um, already an incredibly strange episode of, <laughs> of the, the horror left page vanguard podcast. Uh, we, we are joined, uh, or I am joined as always, uh, by, by John, the wonderful and fantastic John. Always glad to be back on the spectral domain of podcast making. <laughs> And and you, you've you you know these people, you love them, the left page, Frank and Bruno. <laughs> Hello
1: Hello, how are you guys doing?
2: This this is a special crossover tricontinental episode yeah, of on one of the weirdest movies I've ever seen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this
0: this uh, is you know
3: I think we had to choose a kind of era defining work of art, something that was a landmark statement of culture. <laughs> to bring together <laughs> pod- podcasters on three continents yeah. <laughs> to talk about this it's a masterpiece. incredible masterpiece <laughs> of 20th century culture. It, <laughs> Absolutely.
0: It, it does take our combined force to to confront <laughs> Zed and the power of the tabernacle, so... <laughs> and the giant, giant
2: stone head, for sure.
0: Oh yeah, you cannot yeah. forget the giant stone head of a very, like... <laughs> angry meme Karl Marx
1: yeah yeah (laughs) it looks so much like Karl Marx Uh,
3: I'm I am holding to the line that both the giant stone head and the masks are Karl Marx masks and a Karl Marx head yeah Um, yeah. because because that gives a very interesting like Marxist-Leninist reading of this
4: film
1: No, and and the best part is that from far away, the teeth in the mask look like the mustache from Marx. So it's yeah. always a it's always a blend of seeing a monster and then seeing Marx, and it's really confusing and great at the same time.
0: <laughs> right, like like I know we're riffing right now, but I tried to find out like um, more more about Zardoz's head specifically, like the mask and and kind of like. Where where's the inspiration from? Because there are a bunch of like uh, kind of like Greco-Roman looking marble busts throughout the entire yeah. film, yeah, and it's it's definitely calling back to that. But it also really really looks like Karl Marx, <laughs> yeah. And like I, I I was really hoping I could find like some some art, like an interview with like an art director or somebody that was like, yeah, you know, I had a lot of deep thoughts about like <laughs> like like MLM at the time, so I like did did the Marx head as Zardoz, but like I couldn't find. Any anything about where they drew the imagery from the head from? Yeah, I have to admit that my research was slightly less
3: sophisticated. Because what I did what I did was just Google is John Borman a communist? <laughs> Straight into the point. Yeah, I, I didn't. I, you know Ash is there doing like serious research, tracking down the art director and the set designers. I'm like, is he?
4: Is he? <laughs> i you
3: sort of like a reverse McCarthy? <laughs> i'm not i'm not there to expose anyone who's a socialist uh i just want to i just want to know so i can love them
0: and not (laughs) sir have you now or when will you be a member of the communist party (laughs) soon
4: please
3: (laughs) we talked about that in our episode on jordan peele uh with the vegan vanguard where we where i had to make the point i had to break it to people that i didn't think that jordan peele was a marxist leninist Yet. <laughs> yet. Dun dun dun
4: <laughs> Ta-da.
0: And now a word from our sponsors. John? What was that? Oh man. <coughs> this is this is heavier than I thought. Did John, is that is that an unlicensed nuclear accelerator?
3: Um Yeah.
0: So look.
3: The pod hasn't been making enough money lately, so I've signed up with uh, Buster, the app that connects haunted property owners with freelance paranormal experts. Buster makes you feel good. Are you sure that thing is safe? The good people at Buster say it is. Uh, Well, um, Ash, I'm I'm gonna have to go. There's a Weatherspoon's in Stoke-on-Trent that booked a containment for a level 3 free-floating semi-corporeal apparition. Wish me luck.
0: Dear listeners, that was a dramatic telling of what could happen to your ghosts, I mean hosts, without your support. To keep HV above ground, sign up to our Patreon where you'll get access to our Discord server, Early episodes and the exclusive arcane book club of horror. If each of our listeners contributed just a few dollars a month, we wouldn't have to haul around experimental ghost-busting technology. Remember to like, share, and review our show wherever premium podcasts are sold. Now back to the program.
2: But yeah, from what I saw, like, I think it was in a similar fed or something, apparently the head was uh, inspired by John Borman at the time, which really? is sort of
0: confusing. <laughs>
2: It's like John Borman look like Karl Marx. What?
0: <laughs> My mind is like melting right now. There's just there's so many layers to this. <laughs> the origins uh, of the head.
3: I think before we before we start and dive into this in and kind of it, subject it to the rigorous science of dialectical <laughs> criticism. The rigorous science um, of
0: horniness, yes.
3: Of uh, <laughs> definitely uh, uh, horni- horniness and historical materialism <laughs> um the the two essential features of any leftist podcast it, it, that is yeah. how the dialectic works yes i think i think what we need first is um uh, as we do on every episode of the horror vanguard which i'm sure you're aware of ash always provides a uh plot recap for people who have maybe not seen the film yeah so, uh, on that note, Ash, uh, with the high standards that you've set on every other uh, podcast that we have done together, good luck for those for those who have not seen John Boorman's mid seventies masterpiece Zardoz. What is this film about?
0: This film, <laughs> <laughs> things happen according to a plot, and they are filmed for our possible enjoyment or raw confusion. Teenage heartthrob heartthrob Sean Connery, his glorious hair flowing behind him, rides horseback across scenic beaches, rolling hillsides, enjoying the cool morning sun, his firm masculine body clad only in a tight red mankini and bandolera, his chest hair glistening in the sunlight, Also, there's a giant floating head that's Karl Marx, but it's also God, but it's not God because it's the Wizard of Oz. And then Sean Connery gets the psychic powers, and he becomes God, but also not God because the penis is evil. And then a mass murder happens, but it's a good mass murder, and Sean Connery single-handedly repopulates humanity. (laughs) 1974 Zardoz, a softcore porn for the sci-fi crowd. (laughs) Hurrah! Yeah, that's
3: Bravo. genius. Uh, that's, that's genius. Just uh, amazing, as, as always, uh, when it comes to plot recaps. I, to, to, to be honest, I think you were helped by the source material, but once again, <laughs> yeah. uh, outstanding and as ever 100% accurate work, Ash. Yes, man,
2: um, well, no mistakes there. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I, st- I strive it's- for technical accuracy in my plot recaps. It sure is a film. So,
3: <laughs> so okay so where do we where do we start everybody where do we start with this film
0: sean connery's hot let's just get this out of the way this is this is this is is the specter haunting the conversation around this movie yeah 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 we Mm -hmm. just need to admit it it's get it out of the way first
4: yeah
0: and like (laughs) from a more critical uh, uh perspective there are a lot of subtextual discursive elements in, in Sean Connery running around in a red mankini, kind of just adventuring and relaxing and having sex for, for probably the majority of the screen time of this film.
2: He's almost naked for about 90% of the movie.
0: Yeah, yeah, oh, totally. And then, then like, he puts on, like, a little jumper at the end, and that's his, like, getting yeah. dressed because he's the big superhero now. And it has shoulder pads. Yeah. It has some oh, yeah.
3: massive <laughs> shoulder pads. <laughs> Dude, so, uh are we trying to kind of make an argument for this being a slightly more progressive version of of 1970s erotic sci-fi where instead of you know the there would be a half naked woman on screen for most of the time it's the undeniable masculine au- energy and aura of <laughs> James Bond <laughs>
0: I, I think I think it's hard to and I know we're going to get into this later especially when we get into the more um, overtly political elements of the world of Zardoz and the Voids and the Eternals but it's it's really hard to, at least for me, to call this movie anything in particular like to call it progressive, yeah. to call it reactionary to call it pro-anything because yeah. the, the text is very ambiguous, but I do say yeah. mm-hmm. in, in terms of at least the costuming and how the camera kind of appreciates sean connery
4: yeah (laughs) i I
0: definitely think that like there there is a homoerotic energy to this Mm. film that is like when when you like so so this film has three classes of people and we'll get more specifically into this in a bit but it's got it's got the brutals who are forced to farm wheat for the eternals who are like the immortal overclass the rulers and the their will is kind of enforced through the executioners and that's sean connery he's one of them and all of the executioners are just like they're all bears and red mankinis running around beaches and on horseback for like the first half hour of the movie it's just kind of them <laughs> gallivanting with, yeah. with just like a little bit of plot thrown in there for the people who don't <laughs> like the visuals
2: yeah the yeah, long yeah. shots of the stone head flying
0: yeah, mm-hmm. yeah we get some establishing shots of Zardoz in between establishing shots of like Sean Connery's chest hair
3: I mean, those are really the two key features of this film. (laughs) Those are the two main Uh, characters, yes. It's (laughs) it's that magnificent plumage that Sean Connery has, and the giant flying stone head. Yeah, uh, which is full of wheat. uh, Very yeah, yeah, yeah. And
2: plastic people, or in plastic like containers, people. Yeah, people in plastic. Container packaging and and also <laughs> the
1: the drown on mustache and facial hair from Arthur, which is also
2: <laughs> yes. also magnificent. This movie has an aesthetic, like oh, yeah. peak aesthetic, like throughout the entire movie, like from the stonehead to uh, Sean Connery to the whole uh, the eternal look, the how the their world sort of yeah. is designed, their and dining the rooms, yeah, everything mm-hmm. it's. Yeah. It's unlike anything I've seen before, yeah. at least. Yeah. It's very unique in that sense, and I, I, I think it's it's interesting. It, it, it's got some good things, and I, I like that.
4: <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. Like I think in terms of of aesthetics, one thing that I found really interesting while watching this is a lot of times when we have a movie set in like a deep future. The the aesthetic might be very loud, but it's always kind of very shallow, you know? Like, there are maybe, mm-hmm. like, one yeah. or two outfits that literally everyone wears. All the yep. homes are barren. <laughs> like, you know, nothing looks lived in or unique. But in this one, like, there are a lot... there. There's tons of different costuming, tons of different hairstyles. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. all, all of the homes and interiors that we see are clearly, like, lived in and used spaces. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think, like... You know, but it's definitely a very like bizarre future aesthetic. But it does look real. It does look lived in, and it does feel like yeah, I could see people wearing that and like having those decorations and living in that manner. That makes sense to me.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it looks like like a bit like Art Nouveau. uh, That oh, good point. Yeah, it looks like fluid Art Nouveau in in a sense of everything is really colorful and really specific in each room each hair yeah, yeah it's it's really uh, it, it's, the, it's the exact opposite of what we think about the common futurism about as you said uh, padronize, uh, padronized clothing and mm-hmm. and yeah yeah
2: and there's the which is something I realized there are sort of technical futuristic uh, technology technological stuff but there's a very bucolic environment. It's yeah. like there's a lot of nature there's yeah. the, the fields, mm-hmm. the, the sky, the green, the sea yeah it, it's not like oh it's all It's these white clean rooms no it's yeah. like, it's nature
3: yeah mm. I did a little bit of research and, and uh, Boorman said that his two big influences were Tolkien and Arthurian legend yeah mm. oh uh, I can see
0: I can see the Tolkien.
3: Yeah, and he made this film because he was working on an adaptation of the Lord of the Rings.
0: Yeah, through, I was talking uh,
1: about
3: that with Frank earlier today, it's, and I, yeah. and and the production company went, yeah, no, that's, <laughs> mm, n- no, I don't think so. did, did so he? Did he, go, did he goes off to Ireland to make this truly bizarre vision of the future? No,
0: no, I want to know if when like Borman approached the studio about doing Lord of the Rings, he had like like some 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 test footage and it was like sean connery in 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 like uh like a banana hammock just kind of like prancing on the beach
4: and he was like okay that's
0: gonna be frodo we're gonna start there
2: (laughs) but in regards to that aesthetic i think it really contributes to like characters being sort of unique and defining because, yeah. like, even characters that don't have a name, you sort of identify them in various scenes and moments, especially in the end, at the, very, oh, yeah. at the mass murder. Like, you recognize <laughs> characters from previous yeah. scenes, what yeah. they were saying. So, like, this sort of... This aesthetic concern has uh, a reflection on the storytelling and yeah. the identification of the characters, and, like, especially Friend, when he changes from the movie. Yeah. Mm, yeah, definitely. Also, uh, par- necessary parentheses... <sighs> Uh, do you both... Bruno, I know, does. But do you both agree with me that Friend looks like a blonde Paul McCartney?
0: Oh, my God. So the entire time I I saw him on screen, I was like, this guy looks so familiar,
4: but it's because he looks like Paul McCartney.
3: Yes! I, I, I was having exactly the same kind of thought process when I was going... Firstly, that's the weirdest wig I've ever seen <laughs> somebody try and put this actor in. That's so, but oh my god, it's blo- it, its Swedish Paul McCartney. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah. Like, I guess, I guess, I'm, while we're still talking about the aesthetics of this film, another thing I found to be really interesting is kind of back to the like really like aggressive homoeroticism of the first act, especially. Mm-hmm. Like it's interesting to me that the aesthetics can be like so like obviously homoerotic, you know, especially in the context of the like early seventies, yeah. And that the plot can be so not, (laughs) you know, yeah. (laughs) Like this, this is an intensely, uh, and we'll probably get into this later when we start talking about the end, but like, especially the third act of the film, it is intensely heteronormative and intensely sexist, Yeah. yeah, yeah. And it's it's such a clash with these kind of aesthetics.
3: I mean, they do make Sean Connery's character out to essentially be a rapist. Oh, yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, Yeah, pretty, pretty directly. Yeah,
3: Yeah, that is reaffirmed a couple of times. Yeah.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah.
3: But you're quite right. Right at the beginning, even though you have the immortal line that the the gun is good, but the penis is evil. evil. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You have all of these, all of these uh, bear daddies just running around with their extremely phallic guns waving around. Yeah, like, yeah, this we're pretty pretty clear about what we're driving at here, right?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah,
2: and especially later at the end, like, uh, when he's like signaling to them, and there's this sort of uh, companionship at least that's what Mm, I got, like, when he's signaling them from afar, or later when they're closer, and especially them calling out to him at the end, this Mm -hmm. sort of uh very close proximity yeah like it is very much this sort of homoeroticism like especially at the end i think that became even clearer to me than at the beginning
0: yeah yeah there is that there's that really quick scene when we're kind of learning about um how how uh zed's character learned how to read and become became aware and we see that scene where like he's he's kind of like Communicating with those three other exterminators about mm-hmm. his plot, and they're the ones who bury him in the wheat so he can sneak aboard yeah. the giant head of Karl Marx. <laughs>
4: <laughs>
3: yeah. But then I think once we run into the Eternals, I think what's interesting is how you shift from a very particular aesthetic into what's essentially a kind of hyper stratified class society. Oh, yeah. 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 Um, because uh like i've always been of the suspicion that that very english bucolic return to nature aesthetic has underneath it a pretty kind of fascistic and very conservative politics yes yes oh oh boy does this film (laughs) prove (laughs) prove me right because he he turns up and the first question is uh, so do we either enslave this person or do we just straight out murder him? Um,
4: <laughs> yeah.
3: What's it going to be, guys?
0: Right. And yeah. And after after they have a hard think about it, they finally decide that the correct answer is eugenics.
2: Yeah. Like, but sort of uh, unwanted eugenics. Like, uh, uh, on one regard, I really find interesting how that and it is very fascistic. That society, the society of the Eternals functions, the vortex yeah it like it's just it's brutal um -hmm. uh, do you mind if i uh, go into it a bit just like describing it yeah Uh, go off because one of the things is that this they have become eternal they don't die um but the people are like in sort of classes yeah uh there are a couple of scientists there are others who just organize things and deliver the the bread to people because they're they're bakers pretty much taking the wheat uh, collected by the brutals and that they grow themselves but it's the, here's the thing at, at a certain point of the movie we get slightly ahead there's a judgment, a trial mm-hmm. and there's been a defense uh, from this sort of uh, sociologist I think he is like uh, this researcher or whatever and he's like no uh, he's being punished for having negative thoughts yeah. sharing negative thoughts <laughs> which is something uh, a bit of scary. Uh, when you think about the society. Yeah. But, mm-hmm. w- the way the, the punishment is, is brutal, because like, the, uh, the vortex, which is the society of the Eternals, has like, the normal Eternals, the, the regular people, who are sane, and reasonable, and alright. Then you have the apathetics, the ones who like, they become bored, with, uh, immortality. immortality. Yeah. They, they can't stand it, so they're just sitting there, yeah. motionless. Yeah. Uh, like, uh, one of the reasons for them making the Brutals, who were previously, uh, were told that they were merely exterminated by the exterminators, uh, like said, they started growing wheat because they couldn't grow enough wheat to support the apathetics. So they put Mm. the Brutals into growing it. And, other than that, you have the Renegades. The Renegades, which are those that, uh, for one reason or another, did not conform to the Eternal's heavy-handed rule. Uh, If collective rule but you know it's this one of the things that maybe john was talking to us about before we started recording and the renegades are basically uh the elderly uh since the eternals <laughs> don't die they are made to be old so the punishment for for example the guy that had negative thoughts is aging like three years i think yeah so it's it's a very like this sort of biological control yeah. of the society upon its members and especially as cuz there are various moments of this trial cuz like the eternals have rings which have screens on them and which they see the various moments of the trials the f- different defenses and at the end right before the vote uh, the accused, I don't remember his name, he's like, no, I, I have no point in lying anymore. I hate you all. I hate you all. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and, which is a brilliant moment. And Zed and the character were following us, yeah, that's better. Now you're being honest. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's a very strict society. And, like, you conform to the collective rule, to this sort of common sense, to the way we have done things for the longest time. Or you or an exile without sanity, uh, being aged uh, forever. Like, the oldest one, he's, yeah. like, stuck in bed, but he's alive, agonizing. Yeah. But he doesn't die.
3: I think what's interesting about it is that it sets up the idea that immortality is actually pretty horrific. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. And that's something that is maybe a very... Especially if you think about this film as a film from the 1970s, when you first have the kind of utopian idealism of like science is going to make the world better. You look at like um, uh, concept art from the 70s, and they all thought that we would be living on Mars. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. The 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 belief was that the world was about to be radically transformed. Um, But there is no radical transformation in the world of the Eternals, right? Because they've complete. Because radical transformation, revolutionary change. Uh, depends upon the uh, upon its contingency, upon change, upon fragility, and so if you try and eliminate death, what you have, it's it's no surprise that like death, the, to go beyond death, especially in horror literature and horror film, is to produce something genuinely monstrous. Yeah, you think about yeah. you think about you know zombies, you think about vampires, you think about any of these other kind of occult creatures. They're all creatures that have in some way gone beyond the limit of death, which is. Uh, to that which is another way of saying they've gone beyond the limit of what it actually means to be human. Yeah, mm-hmm. a- and you've you've become something which isn't quite human anymore.
2: Yeah, Frankenstein's monster himself, a pain to be alive.
3: Yeah,
4: mm-hmm.
1: yeah. Yeah, I I think also one, one interesting point to to think about is when Zardos or Arthur Frame is talking about uh, his head is just flying around in the beginning of the movie <laughs> and and he talks about being ironic and that he it's for our soul entertainment and as well as for uh, for the truth I don't know something like that and yeah it's it really I don't know what, what do you guys think about like the the mood setting about this first scene because when when I saw it I I I was treating the movie like just a blatant humor, like uh, uh, ironic humor. But mm-hmm. as it progressed, it was uh, it was getting weirder and weirder, <laughs> <laughs> and, and and it, it went to. Uh, I, I was talking to Frank that uh, I needed to process the film and here we are one week after and he came to me and said so did you process the movie and i said no i'm sorry
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah i think that's the only the only reasonable response to this film is that like this is there's so much to chew on here but i i love that opening sequence right like borman borman inserted that sequence because test audiences were really fucking confused by this film <laughs> I wonder why yeah. understandably <laughs> enough, right? So, so he was like, okay, like I'll have I'll have a little like the director comes out, says a little piece about the film and then goes away. But yeah. I really I really love the final statement of um, Arthur Arthur Frain as his floating head is kind of like explaining the plot to us. Yeah. Not the plot, but like the general nature of the world. It gives us a little pricey. And yeah. the um I can't remember the exact wording, but but he says something to the effect of like you know, like I, I am Arthur Frayne a man who's pretending to be a god and i i was written by you know like i am a character in this film created by people who have total control over the film and and you are watching this film and who made you you know like yeah. are, they, yeah. are they capricious showmen like me <laughs> and like yeah. that like like you know like th- this this movie is absurd and there's a lot of yeah. like ludicrous imagery but like that is mm. that, that is a very direct line yeah. And, and so we get that, and then we get um, just a few minutes later, right when um, all of the uh, uh, ex- exterminators are picking up the guns that Zardoz just kind of barfed out onto them,
4: <laughs> uh, and like yeah. you
0: know, like they're, they're they're reveling and they're shooting their guns and they're hollering and they're, they're chanting Zardoz's praise, and Sean Connery picks up picks up his iconic gun from the film, looks directly at the camera, and shoots us in the face. Yeah, yeah. So so we have this moment where where a stand-in for the, the voice of the director and for the for, for the film itself kind of questions like, you know, like everything in this movie is created and at the will of something else, and what about you? And then a few minutes later, we're we're shot in the face like an Eternal would be later yeah. in the film. Yeah. Like, and there's like, this whole... so oh, intense. Sorry. Oh, go yeah. on, go there's, on, please.
2: Uh, there's this whole theme of puppeteering in the movie. Yeah. Like yeah. characters manipulating others, be it Zed, mm. Like masquerading as this pure exterminator, <laughs> who's just like this ignorant brute, yeah. Uh, but actually oh, being point, yeah. physically and psychically superior to all of them, as yeah. we learn later in the movie, or Arthur Frame manipulating Zed beforehand, or as we discover at the very end, uh, the Tabernacle manipulating Arthur Frame to manipulating Zed to manipulating <laughs> all mm-hmm. the others.
3: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I think it's. That, that opening speech is very Brechtian, yes. And that's not something that I thought I was going to bring up <laughs> I was talking about Zados. But there's a couple of things that I think are worth pointing out, yeah. right? This this idea of the audience's involvement in the text mm-hmm. itself, mm-hmm. Um, and the text itself highlighting its own artificiality, which actually runs sort of very counter to what a lot of um especially genre film wants to do lots of genre film actually wants to convince you that this is a plausible realistic mimetic image of a possible future yeah yeah but but this film goes no none of this is real none of this is true (laughs) um but you are going to respond to it as if it were um and I think I I remember first watching it and feeling a bit frustrated because uh, it, it struck me as slightly incoherent and I was like I don't I don't get this I don't, I'm not really sure what's going on. Yeah. But then I rewatched it this um, today,
4: mm-hmm.
3: and uh, it was that opening speech that really helped me kind of get my head around this film and go actually no, I have to stop treating this as a kind of desire for realism. Yeah. In inverted commas and actually treat this as kind of a uh, a thought image that gets put in front of us. Uh, and demands a response. Yeah, yeah. At the
2: end, of, the ending, the final sequence is the two, so cono and the other female main character like staring at us. They yeah. stare at the audience like for the remainder of their lives in a sort of stop motion sequence. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it's again this
3: involvement at the very from the very beginning to the very end. Yeah, and I'm not really sure what answers we're supposed to come up with. Yeah, but, <laughs> because I, as I think we probably established, this is a pretty. Um, ambiguous and often contradictory text yes but the I think the the, the class struggle element is actually pretty clear yeah I yeah. think there are some interest if you take the idea of the um, uh, the ability to acquire knowledge as being indicative of coming to a kind of self-realization as a as a class conscious subject, then that kind of helps explain a little bit the, the, the revenge on, on the Eternals. But I don't know. I don't know if this is a film that fits neatly into a kind of easy Marxist reading. Yeah.
0: Yeah, especially because, like, it's not like, you, you can't get revenge on the Eternals, right? They, they got every, every, all of the Eternals got everything they wanted.
2: Yeah. You know, like, yeah. the, the,
0: the ones who wanted to die to escape immortality got that wish at the hands of the Exterminators, and the ones who wanted to kind of, like, Uh, rekindle some kind of society also got that wish yeah so i I think it's 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 like further further complicated from that point too
1: yeah yeah but then what about the kid of zed after that oh yeah yeah i was dearly thinking about that because the the I, i forgot the name of the girl but she actually tries to hold him and he just goes away and and zed holds her hand and they both die and you as you as you said about both classes of society reaching their wanted ending but what about the the kid of of that I, I was i was actually not thinking about that until you <laughs> said it because yeah it's hmm. it, 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 it in in the movie it just ends and you and you don't even think about the kid because you're thinking about the whole lot of other things <laughs> to think about sitting there in shock yeah but yeah but yeah what about the kid i'm thinking about now
0: yeah yeah uh, yeah i don't know i, I think i think that's, that's really interesting too because like you know like like, like uh <sighs> <laughs> they, they they both look so miserable yeah, but but we know why they look miserable though, and it's not not because of character direction. It's it's because they had to reshoot a twelve-hour scene where they sat still, <laughs> <laughs> and and I think like like that's, that feels like a very old-timey photograph where you had to be still for an excessive length of time, and you and so yeah. like nobody smiled because you couldn't sustain a smile long enough for it to capture. Yeah, mm-hmm. and so there's something there's something that accidentally kind of calls back to that about me. Like it's reaching into like this deep photographic past to recreate the scene. And then like the, the, the bit where is that Consuela that he has a kid with? Consuela, yeah. yeah, yeah. It, Like when she, when she kind of reaches for her son's arm and he, he's walking away, like, like I, I kind of had a mixed read of that because part of that felt a little bit like, okay, like that's a very parental, like, you know, her, her child is leaving the home for the first time you know he's about to go go off and you know venture out on his own life which is you know a scary and very emotional time for a lot of parents yeah so so like i kind of i read that along those lines like she was you know like like and especially like because like it it had been like what 300 years since the last child was born or something like that something like that yeah there must be massive weight on her in that moment you know because that's kind of like it's the whole of society and the machinery moving again so so there must be a lot of intensity when kind of like the first new child in forever uh, decides that they have to, like, move out of Mom's basement. Mm. Yeah. So, uh,
3: do you mind if I do what I do on every single episode of the Horror Manguard? Uh, which is... Wh- what am I going to do, Ash?
0: I mean, I I, I certainly don't. I'm, I'm going to go out on a limb and say, maybe, is this is this Mark Fisher? <laughs> you 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 goddamn right, it's Mark Fisher.
3: <laughs> uh, so... So in uh, in the unfinished introduction to Acid Communism, he talks about this <laughs> quote from Herbert Marcuse, um, which is the spectre of the world that would be free, um, and if you Marcuse is this kind of '60s radical figure writing for the New Left, and this film that comes out kind of in the wake of all of that, you have these two possible uh, visions of a potential future: one which is completely static. And enclosed, and and has no possibility of change or transformation. Mm-hmm. And you have this other one, which is like, seemingly has has kind of gone back into a sort of pre pre capitalist civilization. They've just started uh, getting to the point of subsistence farming. Yeah. And at the end of this film, you have the end of those two static models, and you have the the child who leaves the frame. And goes off into the world that could be free, you know. You've had the 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 vision of the future that does not work, and now the question is, what is the next vision of the future going to be? There's a yeah. quote from one of the the Eternals which I I like. I paused the film when I heard it, and I was like, "What?" Uh, because <laughs> what, what they're explaining they're explaining their immortality and how they preserve themselves, and they say something like that they're the guardians of the past for a future that has yet to arrive. Mm. And I was like, I was suddenly having like hauntology flashbacks (laughs) in the 1970s. Um, But the 70s is when there was this kind of cultural idea that the future could be something that was radically different. So this film shows like two potential visions, both of which end in death. But death is not necessarily the problem, right? It's the reluctance to accept death, which is the problem. Um, And so then you have this new kind of subject that's born right at the end of the film and then just leaves uh so the question is you know what do they go out into yeah i will i will now stop talking about mark fisher (laughs) as i have reached (laughs) i have reached my quota for the episode (laughs) yeah i think
4: that
0: oh go on sorry
4: no go on okay
0: (laughs) (laughs) um yeah I i think that um this this whole conversation is really really interesting, right? Because we, we, we had a, we had another line where like like I, I just started to, like you know I've I've got my like uh, uh like like my newspaper clippings and my notes on the wall and the red string connecting everything. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I think it was friend who, who, who said this, but but it's when I think it's earlier on when Zed's just starting to ask him about their society, and Zed, and Zed is like, so wait, like, did, did, like like friend makes this offhand comment about how they have a spaceship lying around. And then Zed is like, "Wait, you went to outer space?" And then Friend is like, "Yeah, but it sucked." <laughs> like, <laughs> oh yeah! yeah, and like, like the, this is the future Elon Musk wants. Yeah, right. This is this is a completely anhedonic, entirely dictatorial, like nightmare society where only like the the Eternals only have one aesthetic, right? They only have one set of like cultural items they can ever engage with. You know, like when they say that they're like. The sum total of human memory or something like that and they have to preserve everything you know like look, look at everything we see right like they, they don't recite like any any like um non-european non-american traditions right yeah mm-hmm. like it's mm-hmm. all greco-roman sculptures and paintings and poetry and song oh. and language you know there's a point where like uh zed's getting all the information downloaded into his brain while he has sex with every woman alive (laughs) yeah and like (laughs) like like one of the things that is taught to him is gaelic you know like it's it's this hyper hyper focus on like all of this like european and american imperial colonial information yeah and like there's not there's not a single person of color in this entire film like there's no representation from the rest of the world
4: Mm-hmm. You know, and like,
0: is, is the rest of the world in, in a similar situation? Is this just, has the UK just plunged into like just some bizarre dome of, of yeah. like <laughs> immortals and substance farmers, and like the rest of the world is just kind of getting on okay and they've just abandoned it? <laughs>
3: I, I i don't know about you but i'm very, i was very excited to watch this documentary of what britain post-brexit is going to be like oh, a really
4: joke? Yes. <laughs> this,
0: is, this is this is the 1974 vision for like 2074 brexit
3: you love to see it it's so good but yeah yeah like in terms of
0: in terms of like lost futures and protected pasts it's interesting to me that this like you know science science fiction element is still like deeply into being a colonial like like empire and even even like th- that they can travel anywhere presumably in the galaxy that they want because they reference going to other stars
4: mm-hmm. like
0: yeah. you know the, they're so boring because they've like locked themselves into nothing but this kind of like white supremacist like and yeah. empire view of culture that they yeah, can't get yeah. free, and like my, my first thought when they started talking about Star Trip, uh, Star, uh, spaceships was <laughs> Star Trek, you know, because yeah. Star Star Trek is also like you know the Federation is an empire and it is a colonial force expanding through space, yeah. yeah, and but it's also a more progressive manifestation of that. It is more embracing of diverse cultures and like everybody on the Starship Enterprise is just having a real good time unless you're wearing a red shirt. it is is nothing but sex with strange aliens and learning new things and having fun in space (laughs) and and that's because they've kind of embraced you know kind of like this this intersectionality in terms of how they formed their federation compared to the society we see with the eternals who are just like so staunchly locked into this incredibly isolationist uh, revisionist stance yeah
3: I mean let's be honest this is this is Peter Thiel's <laughs> dream scenario isn't it like Peter Thiel a literal blood-guzzling vampire ghoul um who thinks that he can survive the coming climate apocalypse that he's in many ways quite responsible for by simply buying up large tracts of land in New Zealand and and like having an armed compound which will you know make make survivors fight for the death for the last bitcoin or whatever um but the point is that the eternals get everything that they actually want and that's exactly the problem Mm -hmm. yeah you know this is the reason their society fails is because they get exactly what they want and that's going to be the nightmare can you imagine having to be like elon musk but be that forever I mean, oh my, oh my God! That just sounds—that sounds so awful. Rick and Morty jokes
0: for a thousand years. That is your punishment. (laughs) Oh my
3: God! (sighs) Yeah. Like you know, can you imagine being like the the uh, semi uh, sentient brain of Jeff Bezos floating around, but never being able to stop existing because (laughs) that. You know, uh, in the episode we did with Nicole Cliff a little while ago, she said that the big the, the only thing that rich people fear is death. <laughs> actually, actually this film makes the point that without death, what you end up with is, is something that is completely anhedonic. There is no possibility of happiness friend talks about going into the stars and then just sighs and goes, yep, another dead end. Because what you're looking for is you're looking for a way out. Mm-hmm, you're looking for mm-hmm. a, yeah. Uh, the ability to get beyond yourself. Yeah. Uh, a kind of limit experience. And that's where horror resides. But that's also where death resides as well.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, Frank and Bruno, I'm interested to get uh, your your take on on like kind of. I know we I know we've had like there are a lot of loose ends to go back and tie up with what we just like started talking about. But like, what's your general <laughs> thought on on kind of everything we've been rambling?
2: Uh, can I go first? Yeah, yeah. I, I just have a couple ideas, especially yeah. with what you mentioned about horror. Uh, one of the things and a common theme in horror which is the theme of sleep and dreaming. The the mm. Eternals don't sleep anymore. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They yeah. do mm. second level meditation, which <laughs> yeah. is just sort of collective mind joining and reflection. Uh, it's never made entirely clear what it is, but this sort of abolishing of sleep is and of dreaming in that sense is sort of. No, not even death, not even the death of sleep can enter here.
4: Yeah.
2: And especially to that idea of them being guardians of the past and this sum of collective knowledge, even if imperialist in nature, it's for the society to come. This society would never come if the Eternals remained in their own state. Without Zed, mm-hmm. they would remain the same forever. Yeah. And that future society, for that future that they so supposedly are guarding all that, will never come. Because they are static in time and in space. There is no change. Uh, We did some time ago uh, have a chat with Coffee with Comrades about uh, Ursula K. Le Guin's The Dispossessed. Yes! And the idea idea of the society as of uh, a truly positive and anarchist society as that of Constant revolution, constant mm-hmm. transformation, yeah. and this is the is extreme opposite. Yeah. This is absolute static.
1: Yeah, and, yeah. and I think uh, uh, the the thing about that is uh, the the book has the the great quote about uh, brotherhood begins in shared pain, and I I think mm-hmm. that it, uh, it's beyond the. The idea that we are talking about uh, not fearing death anymore, or not having the element of death in in your in your brain when you're living as a human being, and and I think that uh, that's another uh, another element of horror and of life the uh, of being a human being that is pain and suffering, and, and it, the the thing about Zardos and the the Eternals is that. Even that is was abolished in a way that the only way of feeling like regret or pain is about continue to to being alive. Yeah, continued existence. Yeah. So mm. so yeah, so yeah it, it it seems to me like a, a simulation of it's just a, a played round about thinking about what is the uh, a human society without any kind of uh, kind of fear kind of re- regret of of uh, yeah it's it's full of regret regret of being alive but yeah I mean the thing uh, and I re- I'm getting really confused here because I'm thinking about so much thing so much things but I think that uh, the film doesn't it, it doesn't look like it it has a plot or a continuous story because it's it's uh, at all times, it's going in directions about it, it's rambling, but it's a, a good rambling about what is life without uh, what would we look like without death? What would we uh, act or feel? Or, yeah, and it, it's really uh, maddening in, in a sense of uh, it's maddening for the spectator who is watching this this totally awkward future and is maddening for the people who live there who cannot die anymore
2: yeah Mm. and like especially with this variation of the plot like the third act is pretty much like the hero's journey he gets a prophecy yeah he he learns what he needs to do now he gathers his allies he needs to fight this big bad which is the tabernacle which is something i I, want to get into a bit because it's the whole thing um but it's this sort of the the plot is many things and yeah. at the end it becomes this sort of journey yeah but it's always been a journey but we haven't known i i yeah. it, it's strange yeah. and what, something that i rec- remembered that, which i forgot to say about this them being guardians of the past when they sort of like become supreme guardians of like This order and this stability, when they like, no, we need to stop and need to kill Zed before he destroys our society, they become the. When they go sort of maniacal, (laughs) they start destroying these relics, these statues that they are so adamant in protecting. Yeah. Like, Mm, yeah. The ultimate defense of the society uh, implies in them destroying what they are supposedly protecting. So. It's almost like an admittance that, no, it, this past doesn't matter. We, what, why, why we're here is not why we're here. Like, we're here to remain, not to yeah. guard this something for someone else. No, yeah. we're here for us. We're here to protect ourselves.
4: Yeah.
3: I think that's really interesting, actually, what both of you have said, because what it makes me think about is this idea of, if you get rid of the concept of death, the Eternals don't necessarily need one another. Right, there is no mm-hmm. need for any kind of collective action or responsibility. The, yeah, they're all sick of they're all sick of the votes that everyone keeps <laughs> making them have. They hate one another. Yeah, uh, but it does. But it doesn't matter because they're never going to die. But in I I mean in fragility, in it, you find a kind of shared ground of solidarity yeah. as well, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the fact that, the fact that we are all vulnerable, that we are all contingent, that we're all fragile, that we all uh, one day, uh, will need to be taken care of, and one day will die. Means that, like, we have to depend upon one another. So, if you get rid of death, if you eliminate that and and have that as no longer being something that people have to confront or deal with on any kind of existential level, yeah. Uh, you you get rid of you get rid of a shared ground of solidarity as well.
0: Yeah.
3: What do you think, Ash?
4: Hmm. <laughs>
0: <laughs> this is so much to to chew on with this film, and I think all of these points give me a lot of, like, ah, oh, just really interesting things to, to think about. Yeah, yeah.
4: <laughs> this, this is, like,
0: this, this is one of, one of, like, the rare movies that just, like, stumps me, because there's just so much going on in this movie. Yeah. Like, yeah. This, the the, the, text, the textual discourse so, here is so, so deep.
3: No, it's so normal and regular. It's just it's there's not a lot going. Oh on yeah, there. yeah. This is <laughs> average movie,
0: summer blockbuster. It's like a Marvel film. Yeah,
3: <laughs> yeah. You want to maybe talk
2: about talk about interesting and especially horny moments uh, when they're talking about how they, as a society, uh, one they stop being horny um, because. I, I don't remember the reason but I, yeah. I don't remember it being very convincing
3: either uh yeah and how no they longer con- horny on main ever ah. sadly oh.
0: so so really quickly um because i took notes on the exact moment where we learn about this um uh this is this is uh i do believe it was consuela talking to the group and this is before she was won over yeah. to zed's side yeah and she she explains that sex has died out because erections have become impossible and, yeah. and erections became impossible because men got bored because they lived forever. <laughs> and like that is like the most anhedonic heteronormative take. And like yeah. my, my point of comparison is Hellraiser. You know, because the the, the the conceit of the first Hellraiser film before they built the extended universe and they're actually demons from hell. Um, is that like they're they're transdimensional beings that have lived so long that the distinction between any kind of pain and pleasure is just totally lost on them, you know? The, like that that like because they can't die and because they live forever, like like why not? Why not do all of these like things that to us because we're mortal and our lives are finite are just like radically horrifying. Yeah, and like so so you're saying
3: that the two options for the immortal uh, subject is either never horny, ever, <laughs> or get, get really into some extreme kink.
4: Yeah. <laughs> uh, functionally, yes.
0: <laughs> over, over an infinite amount of time, with an infinite uh, set of possible interactions, an infinite uh, series of decisions will be made.
2: And in that scene, uh, when they're, they're talking about the... Because it's strange, because supposedly Consuela and May. Uh, which is the one that is actually supporting Zed and wants to start this new eugenics? She, they are supposedly. It's not. It's never clear, but there, especially some of the earlier interactions, that they're a couple. Mm-hmm.
4: Yeah. So
2: there is something there, but it's there's no real justification or explanation other than that. Yeah. Because Consuela, at one point beforehand, says that no, this is hurting me, May. Why are you doing yeah. this to me? it's not to us it's to her personally yeah. so there's this sort of closeness between them sort of relationship but it's never it's never anything beyond that there's no actual a moment they don't, they don't even kiss like it, it doesn't even get to that yeah so it's talking about how it is so heteronormative like it's because something wasn't possible with the men that sex died for all of them which <laughs> makes <laughs> right. no sense yeah, yeah you know,
0: there was my reaction to that it was like um well, I mean, like this is this is a very narrow appreciation of human sexuality. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. And
0: this and the following bizarre
2: scene when they're talking, like, because we could never understand how um, uh, sort of stimulation led to the increase of blood flow to the penis. And there's this mm-hmm. image of a graph showing an erection. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: that, that is the yeah. best bathroom stall kind of like graffiti drawing of a boner yeah. in movie history. <laughs>
4: Yeah,
3: and there's it's... there's that amazing moment where suddenly the graph changes, and then everybody just steps steps forward and looks down out of frame to the edge of Sean Connery's like <laughs> costume <laughs> bulge. <laughs> like, oh. Okay, so we've made we've made Sean Connery's erection an extremely important plot point.
4: <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, f-
0: fun 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 movie fact. Depending on which edition of this film uh, our our, lists, our collective listeners have uh, watched. You might not have seen the uh, infamous boner scene because that really? that was cut yeah. from a lot of distributions of the movie because I guess what? explicitly talking about how to make a boner and then looking at Sean uh, uh crotch <laughs> is a bit too much for some uh, distributors.
2: Because then, what's amazing is that they tried like, okay, so let's see if he can make him
0: Zed have a boner. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like the, it's the most high school stuff ever because it's just like a, yeah, search of like, yes. a gif of boobs <laughs> yes no, like, to, this, be honest,
3: to be honest i do think that the the choice of material that they use <laughs> does add some evidence to the fact that they've all given up on sex and have no idea <laughs> yeah what, yeah and have no idea what sexy or yeah. erotic might be yeah. anymore yeah yeah Cause like first there's the gif of
2: boobs, which is the most bizarre thing. I like, suppose there's this woman showering some yeah. random moaning, and then there's this sort of weird mud wrestling, but it's yeah. sort of ethereal and strange.
4: Yeah.
2: And, and it's like the way they measure the erection is like this sort of a
3: wobbly line on the screen, which is sort of long. <laughs> <wobbling, laughs> it looks
0: like a seismograph that measures yes. earthquakes. Yes, yeah. o- audience, please insert your jokes here. <laughs> <laughs> and then Zed looks at Consuela and then the thing goes like, <laughs> <laughs> and it's not actually works and then his eyes
3: pop out of his head and he, like there's the wolf whistle and oh, like you go, oh. <laughs> <laughs> and everyone <laughs> and everyone looks down in just
2: sort of clothes just cutting Sean on Connery Scotch and like everyone supposedly looking down <laughs>
3: looking hugely impressed like oh my god so, so the legends were true
0: this scene is really interesting to me on on a uh, theoretical and kind of philosophical level <laughs> oh jeez and that's not okay so 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 the the, the tension of this scene is up at, at this point consuela still wants to kill sean connery's character zed Right. Yes, yes. She sees Zed as a threat, uh, possibly to her uh, uh, like internal relationships and to the society as a whole, and and she she wants to literally kill him. Right. Mm-hmm. Zed is is an exterminator. He, his entire life is built around this like cargo cult religion. Where he goes around murdering uh, just just kind of like the surplus population of brutals, right? Like he's yeah. he's just like he's he's a Gestapo or a cop or something.
2: Yeah, yeah.
0: And like, so so there's 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 this interesting power dynamic between the two, and that he's he's kind of like he is like Consuela is is to Zed and the executioners as Zed and the executioners are to the brutals. And like, like there, there's this, this this kind of like power dynamic flowing between the two of them, where where mm-hmm. she she is effectively Zed just one peg up on the social ladder.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And, and
0: like he his attraction, like because like you know we have that other scene where he um you know tries to like sexually assault and rape one of the apathetics, mm-hmm. but yeah. like you know like he he like loses interest when he realizes that, that they're totally passive. Yeah, and, and like, just
1: tosses her like a Barbie doll.
0: yeah yeah and and the 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 fact that like the the one the one person he is attracted to and the one person he does wind up ultimately building like a i guess some kind of relationship with is the the only one that has power over him and the only one that has actively sought to kill him this entire time yeah Yeah,
2: from the very beginning yeah and especially in that scene because if we think like revisiting the scene knowing that zed knows what he's doing there that he is aware of their society and that what he wants to not everything but that he's aware that they're their enemies and that he is better and superior in a way like physically and psychically uh, as we discover later he he's not it's like he's exerting a power dynamic there yeah so in, in that sense that becomes very like um, sexist because yeah. him has as a man as his power that the others aren't fully aware is completely, mm. like, uh, discrediting her by seeing her as an object of pleasure.
0: Yeah, and no, I think that's to the... Some... point
2: where they laugh at her.
0: Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, they, yeah, all, they all wind up mocking they her all, for that. They all
3: mock her, don't they? She, she's she's the waiting. first
0: one of them in 300 years that has inspired any kind of libidinal desire, and, and they shame her for it.
3: Yeah. yeah. Basically, they're all a bunch of incel dorks. I <laughs> literally have that
0: as one of my notes. Are the Eternals <laughs> incels? Question mark.
4: <laughs> well, they are... Bold they're letters, yes. They're either,
3: they're either incels or they're like voluntary celibates, so they have no way of kind of coping with any kind of libidinal desire. And it even it to kind of underscore just how powerful libidinal desire truly is, because of the raw uh, sexual charisma of Sean Connery, <laughs> uh, he manages to like bring the apathetics out of their sort of existential funk that they've gone into, where they don't do anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. But as soon as they get he, they get close to him, they're like, "Oh yeah, I remember having a body was pretty great." <laughs>
2: Yeah, because what happens is the first encounter he has with them, he basically sort of lifts them slightly from their apathy. There's like, oh, wait, this is a thing. Yeah. This is strange. Yeah. And then later, like, he basically leads them all. They, they kiss him and they take his strength and they all go yeah. into this weird orgy and they all become insta-horny.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I think I think they even get his sweat. Yeah. If, I, if I'm not. Yeah, that's that's a really powerful image as well, like. They are basically drinking his sweat and kissing each other and passing the sweat on, like as if the sweat was a a, a kind of image for the 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 working of a, a normal human body, like a, a a a normal human being who actually sweats and dies and yeah, because yeah. they have no
2: exertion, so they don't yeah. sweat. Yeah. Wow! Didn't think about
4: that. Yeah. Yeah.
3: I like to think that that scene was just taken from live footage of the aftercast party, because <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's exactly what would happen if you made out with Sean Connery. I'm just, I'm yeah. just putting it out there. Just lifted to a
0: higher plane of awareness. No, like, like I, re- I really, I really liked that scene because there was something deeply queer about it, right? Because it's, it's yes. like, yeah. like, like, like the woman tastes Sean Connery's sweat and then passes on to a man who then passes it on, and it's like. You know, uh, metaphorically, they're all kind of, they're, they're, you know, swallowing Sean Connery's bodily fluids and sharing it between them, right? There's something like deeply, like simultaneously, deeply queer and erotic about that, but also yeah. deeply religious. You know, if, if you, like, yeah. the, the other comparison that I thought was like, oh, that's the blood of Christ. You know, mm, like, they, wow. you know, like, like, you know, drink of my blood. You know, Sean Connery is sharing him himself fluidly with these people, and through that, they're being saved. Yeah oh my god oh wow <laughs> yeah <laughs> and, like, <laughs> and there's no like I remember Bruno
2: like being like wow this movie must have had, caused a lot of shock other than being softcore for the entire yeah, way yeah. because like when they start exchanging there's no differentiation or discrimination between men and women they simply yeah. start exchanging man to man woman to woman and yeah. all that it's, it's this uh, saying it as a, a, full, a queer moment in that sense I, I saw it like that and it was very positive yeah and shares. not to mention
0: Sean Connery wears a wedding dress right after that. Yes, yes!
4: <laughs> I, I, I'm yeah, afraid we cannot bride. let that part go.
3: <laughs> yeah, we cannot. We cannot. Yeah, he is he is the bride of this new society that kind of heralds this this reawakening of libidinal desire, which finds its expression not just in kind of sexual desire but in uh, violence as well. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, yeah, like political revolution, social change, literal death.
3: Yeah, he's the one taken to
2: like kill the prophet. He, in order to change society, he needs to kill the one that sees the future mm-hmm. as yeah. a first
3: step. Yeah. yeah, and then of course that brings us on to the the truly bafflingly strange final scene in <laughs> the tabernacle.
4: Oh, yeah! I love
0: that sequence so much because that is like 100 what I look for in weird little movies. <laughs> yeah, I, I knew you would be into it. I it, it really, it really it. reminded me of uh, Tr- or, uh, what's shirt. Hang on, one, one brief moment. I, I have to go to the notes, otherwise I'm going to get this director's name wrong, and then that's going to like keep me up at night. <laughs> <laughs> and I did not come to class prepared, and this is all deeply embarrassing. But <laughs> it, fine, it really, understand. it really reminded me of uh, Peter Cherkasky's outer space. And it's it's Cherkasky recut the movie outer space Wherein a woman is haunted by kind of like this phantasmal force To have the woman be instead haunted by the outer edge of the frame Like the outer edge of n- not, like the film itself he, he recut the film and superimposed physically the film As the thing that's stalking her and haunting her throughout the movie Oh my god and That's it's,
3: really interesting. It is wow,
0: brilliant and beautiful, and um, I. It's only it's like eleven minutes long. It's up on Vimeo. I highly recommend everyone watch it. If you're sensitive to uh, rapidly flashing images, uh, just just know that the entire movie is rapidly flashing images. But yeah. it is it is just this phenomenally uh, artistically brilliant exercise, and when Sean Connery is kind of wandering through this kaleidoscope and kind of like frantically trying to escape something you know to find something something that isn't there something that's that's always just just off frame or cannot be put in frame that's that's kind of like the first thing i jump to yeah Yeah.
2: because like what he's trying to destroy is something that can't even conceptually be explained (laughs) yeah because the tabernacle is supposedly this sort of the this collective it's it's the, the computer but it's sort of this keeper of all the knowledge yeah and in a sense it because it, it exists, it keeps all their memories, and if everyone of the immortals die, the tabernacle rebuilds them, so they can't even mm. commit suicide or actually die. The tabernacle uh, rebuilds them, and when they build the tabernacle, they erase their memories on how to destroy it. Yeah. So the tabernacle exists, like, sort of out of time and out of space, and yet it controls it all, and yeah. is this sort of guardian of, of, of the immortal society, of the vortex. And as we learn to find out, it exists in infinite light. Mm, uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. So Sean Connery looks into this crystal to and figures it out. So he sort of penetrates into this crystal and is in this sort of eternal dark mirror room. Yeah. Searching for
1: himself th- and something. <laughs> yeah.
2: As he sees the other characters and eventually himself, and is sort of running around with a gun.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he actually in, in the end he shoots himself through the mirror yeah and yeah. then
4: he, he sees... re- reflection
1: yeah and and, and and he sees himself with the mask and then without the mask and then he is dying but he in the mirror he's dying but in reality he's fine and then he's falling down and he's falling down in reality as well and then it just goes away and he's still alive and yeah you...
2: he shoots the mirror and the mirror bleeds yeah 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 which is an amazing little detail. Yeah. yeah. This intense zoom of it as as uh, Sean Connery out of focus falls down bleeding.
0: Yeah. So one one thing with this 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 sequence and kind of the film in general is this is like a a softcore porn pre-make of the Matrix trilogy from 1974. <laughs> <laughs> because Sean Connery goes from being this normal guy who's very into his like normal job given the context of the world of course. <laughs> And like yeah. he's he's kind of forcibly awakened, and like like you know, when when, you, when we see him kind of like trying to relive the moment where he first learned how to read and he first encountered the truth of Zardoz, he's deeply traumatized by that. Like in yeah. the entire film, that's the only thing he's afraid of is is yeah. the, the memory yeah. of the time he read the Wizard of Oz and realized his entire life was a lie, right? And then and then we have this this the sequence where he's kind of in the crystal world. And he mm-hmm. has to kill himself. Weirdly reminded me of the scene in Matrix Revelations where Neo has to like willingly die to Agent Smith in order to save the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then there's his whole like romantic relationship with to, to like uh, Trinity who is outside of this like Matrix universe. And it's like like the love that pulls him through and stuff like that. I don't know. Weird yeah. read there, but I did feel like there was some kind of like there were there were, there were some there's some, there some sinew connecting these two films across like four decades of cinematic history.
2: Yeah, no, uh, especially the journey from him being, like, this sort of normal exterminator, like... Because the way he puts it, he lost his innocence. Yeah, oh, when yeah. He, yeah. When he learns to read and discovers yeah. that uh, Zardos is actually the wizard of Oz without <laughs> the off. <laughs> and it makes sense, but it is still hilarious. It's one of the funniest things I've ever seen. Yeah, And he, he cracks... Like he runs around like no, destroying this library, like in a full blown panic. Yeah. Like he, he can't handle it. Like he lost his innocence. Like he found the truth. Yeah. And it is shattering.
1: Yeah.
3: I wouldn't have thought that we would have ended up comparing Zardos to to the Matrix.
0: <laughs> well they are there are two decidedly different takes on fetish attire, so we have that.
3: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think uh I think that's a very good point. That adds a lot of uh, credence <laughs> to your reading. Um, yeah. I like that the I like that the film tries to uses the Wizard of Oz though, which is an incredibly mm-hmm. strange choice, right? Because at least the Matrix uh, films grounded themselves in like Baudrillard and, <laughs> and, and <laughs> but this goes no no the you want to understand the current contemporary situation, don't read any of that obscure continental philosophy. <sighs>
0: You need to read Frank Albaume's The Wizard of Oz. <laughs> <laughs> I really think that works in the context of the film, though, because, like, yeah, you know, ob- obviously we have uh, um, Arthur, Arthur, Arthur Frayne living inside Zardoz's head, echoing The Wizard of Oz li- being Oz's giant floating head. But then we also have, like, <clears throat> the-, the Wizard of Oz has some, like, really deep-seated racism baked into that book. And like, and in this movie, there's like no, no appearance of race at all. Like it is it is, yeah. it is a deeply like white supremacist view of of kind of everything going on. And then kind of like on, on on top of that, like there's this added layer of like the the whole end of the movie is about the liberation of the the immortals and the exterminators. But like, what about the brutals? You yeah, know, like yeah. they're they're entirely left out of the conclusion of this film. Yeah, yeah. And like, and like, to, to kind of like further pin this pin this kind of point down, like, like Sean Connery is a class traitor. Like Sean Connery is like a, an ice agent or a cop or like Gestapo or, or something. Like it's his job to stop, like preemptively stop and shut down any kind of brutal uprising by murdering them. Keeping their population mm, yeah. in check so that the Eternals can continue to live in prosperity.
2: Mm. Yeah, yeah. It, it it just reminded me of something that the the entirety of, there's this uh, when they're talking about the foundation of the vortex, this sealing off from the Brutals, and there's this scene of like the main immortal cast like standing in the fields looking through this glass at the mm. Brutals just banging. On the in, on this impenetrable glass, just like begging for help, and they stare at them like coldly
3: and yeah. heartlessly. Yeah. And I, again, again, uh, a genuinely chilling vision of what will happen uh, should billionaires get their way in setting climate change policy. Um, because this is exactly what's going to happen, right? Because they, they, we've talked about this quite a lot on Horror Vanguard. That <laughs> the rich, the rich, will leave you in a heartbeat. If they yeah. think that no matter how useful you might make yourself, you can be you can be exploited, you can be uh, used, you can be abused, you can be eaten by a horde of zombies if that is going to prolong their existence by just five more seconds. Yeah. Um. And so one of the reasons that I asked just before we started recording about whether whether everyone thought that this was kind of a pro or anti collectivist film is that I think it's a really good at showing the potential of a certain class formation to produce uh subjects that are willing to act entirely in their own interests like if yeah. you talk to a lot of people they go oh i don't really think that class warfare is a thing but i'm like well <laughs> rich rich people absolutely do and yeah. they're winning and they're yeah. winning <laughs>
1: yeah yeah
3: and if you th- and if you think the eternals are this kind of upper class that are kind of use the the executioners as their sort of cop force then it just shows it kind of puts forward i think actually quite a biting critique of a certain kind of collective class action
1: mm. yeah it, it's just like uh it, it's really similar to 1984 by orwell because mm. uh, there's this scene where where winston smith he just goes to the like the, the species of ghetto that mm. the, there is like a a really poor society that is left behind, <laughs> and actually they they bomb these areas every day for like the yeah. the the so so it's really like you were saying like even if the the society uh, the perfect uh, high society the perfect uh, not perfect society uh, high society exists. Uh, and, and even if it, uh, even if it is uh, a, a completely destroyed and 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 in crisis society they still uh, do all the, their job to keep the the poor at, at at bay like to to kill them or to regulate the amount of, of poor people that there are so they can't even Try to think about revolution, try to think about anything that is uh, near to taking the power.
2: Yeah, and Mm, something I've remembered and forgotten and remembered and forgotten, and I've remembered. (laughs) No one, uh, something that's become clear is that the majority of the immortals and of the eternals had no idea what was going on outside the vortex. Yeah. Like, they simply, Arthur Frame was the only one who actually wanted to do something with it. Because, like, oh, nobody wanted to take care- to look at them, so uh, Arthur simply went and did his thing. Yeah. So, like, they say, oh, we need to investigate it. But they they don't. They don't care. Yeah. They never cared. Yeah. That's why, like, one person was interested in, like, sort of manipulating them and making them their slaves and whatever, and manipulating them as being a false god. Yeah. So it's this absolute uh, separation. Like, oh, no, you-, you can't get to us. We can't... We don't want to even see you. We don't give a shit anymore. Yeah. Like, we exist outside of you. And then they turn on each other. That's the thing about the renegades. The renegades are part of that same society. But they've been... Because of, at times, more or less a non-confirmation, they've been slowly uh, exiling many of their own. So, on, on the one hand, if you really think about it, the eternal society is progressively diminishing as more and more become renegades.
1: Yeah
3: yeah 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 absolutely um and they i love the fact that they all look like they've just stepped out of a david lynch film (laughs) (laughs) and they're sort of wandering around and they're like they're old jazz instruments and it's like yeah they're all in suits (laughs) as opposed to this kind of like rural peasant attire that they try and make everybody wear which is all of the uh, so, I, I think that that's a really good point that eventually this society's desperation to enforce conformity is just going to result in more and more people being made into renegades, made into these yeah. uh, figures that don't quite fit anymore.
2: It'll implode. Yeah.
3: Yeah. It'll, it'll simply collapse on itself.
2: Uh,
3: class contradictions, anybody? <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah. yeah, I do think that's one of the ultimate lessons there is that, like, you know, like, you, you can cozy up to power as much as you want, but, like, power is infinitely constricting. You mm-hmm. know, like, it, yeah. will, it will, like, if, if you might be on the inside today, but that's going to be the periphery tomorrow.
2: Yeah? Yeah. Yeah, completely. Yeah, there's this establishing shot, and, like, some of the oldest renegades were, like, the first scientists. Yeah. yeah. They were yeah. the ones responsible for establishing
1: uh, eternity. Uh, yeah, yeah.
2: And they're the ones who are, were the first to start paying the price for eternity. Yeah, it's, yes. it's something.
0: Much, much like Sean Connery's attire. Like this is this is an infinitely constricting uh, uh, circle of people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
3: much like Sean Connery in this film, this is uh, confusing, but <laughs> sli- <laughs> <laughs> not, but but still slightly horny. It made me yeah. feel things.
0: <laughs> 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 it, 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 Horror.
4: <laughs>
3: it did things to our bodies it did yes. it did it, de- it definitely <laughs> did things to our bodies which uh i like that that's sort of become the unofficial horror vanguard slogan now <laughs> <that> <laughs> horror horror wants to do things to your body and sometimes you won't like those things but sometimes the thing doing those things to your body will be sean connery in an orange <laughs> In an orange mankini. (laughs) (laughs) To
2: quote from a dialogue between friend and author from the movie, which I just kind of find funny. We've all been used and reused and abused and
0: amused. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, they're 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 really...
4: Describing...
0: Oh, go on, go on.
3: I was just saying, I think that's a great way of describing the feeling of watching this film. (laughs) Yeah. Absolutely. Just tossing you
2: around back and forth.
4: Yeah.
0: Yeah, I was just, I was just going to really quickly add that like uh, Arthur and Friend's relationship, much like uh, Consuela and her counterpart, like there's also like a like a, a subtle erotic tension between the two, something that like goes beyond just the homosocial. Yeah, yeah.
2: Because like Friend knew what Arthur was planning for Zed, mm-hmm. so like he's also in on it. Yeah, on destroying society. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and like <laughs> like he's he's in on it, but he doesn't have a role you know like yeah, like he wasn't an agent there. in it which means he had to just be really really close to him to confide that mm-hmm. secretly and then in the end when like uh i think i think friend puts us forward where he's like oh you kill me and i'll kill you and then arthur is like yeah. oh that'll be so ironic and they're like they're they're, <laughs> they're laughing and they're having this great time as they're about to share like this 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 kind of thing that they've craved for 300 years
4: yeah
3: mm-hmm. yeah any any final thoughts that we want to uh, throw in there as we start trying to tie together this this strange bizarre yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah I don't, I don't know I, I don't have any it I have lots of things lots of things left to say but I don't I can't put it really in words so <laughs> yeah
2: it, it, it is definitely... It's a, it, it's strange. It's something worth watching and rewatching. Yeah, uh, I think, and and I like it. Like even through the ambiguity and sort of bad and horrendous things and some of the strange and the bizarre, and at, at times the unfathomable. Yeah, it's it, it it is hilarious and it is horrifying and just the reflections on thinking about like death and the lack of death and the lack of horror in that sense. Yeah. Like mm. if if there, as you were saying John if there's no no death which is one of the main things about horror there there's there's no horror uh, supposedly but there's the absolute horror of eternity.
4: Yeah.
1: Which
2: is yeah. like a, a sort of permanent pain that they have. It's oh it's
3: great. It's great. And here's the thing I don't think it's nearly as bad as its reputation suggests yeah, um, yeah. I oh not at all it, yeah it has this like it has this reputation of being like one of the worst films ever made and being like infamously <laughs> terrible yeah. and it is in places extremely silly uh, <laughs> and, and there's there's a lot about it which uh watched today comes off uh, well it doesn't come off it is deeply uh misogynistic heteronormative mm-hmm. yeah. B- yeah. dependent upon a very patriarchal masculinist vision of sexual uh, desire um but i also think it's full of these really interesting and weird ideas <laughs> yeah um, which means that i'm i'm so, i'm so glad that i got to watch it again yeah <laughs> so am i and and let's be
2: honest it's fun to see all the immortals get killed at the end
4: yeah
0: (laughs) i i love that sequence so much because like in any other movie that 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 like massacre that mass kill-off would be like we'd be watching it from a distance and there would be like slow-mo shots of people falling and then like some like like a pop song that's keyed down (laughs) and sung really slow (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> It'd be so melodramatic, but in this one, it's they're all just like, "Oh, kill me, kill me next." Like, they're, 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 they're like hugging, hugging each other, but not out of sorrow, out of like, like a kind of like compassion. Yeah. yeah, yeah,
2: and like, and the exterminators are like, they don't give a shit; they just kill.
0: Yeah, yeah, they're just they're just doing what ex- they're just exterminating. <laughs> yeah. yeah, ultimately turns on themselves. Yeah, part part of me wonders if they were kind of like. Uh, somehow in communication with Zed because Zed does become like godlike by the end. You know, he can reverse yeah. time with his psychic power. Like, we see him <laughs> rebuilding the uh, like Greco Roman busts that the yeah. uh, mm-hmm. people destroyed in the riots. And like, and he does that by like, kind of reversing the time that happens to them. So, so I think we're, it's hinted that his power is like pretty infinite towards the end of this, or yeah. at least like startling. And like yeah, we we yeah. did get that scene earlier where the three other brutals like his three comrades are like like they know where he is like they know where he was gonna go and he kind of like like they're signaling each other through that barrier yeah mm-hmm. and so part of part of me wonders if like you know because it is interesting that the the brutals do arrive at that specific moment so I wonder if they were like in
4: on
0: on it somehow or in on part of it
2: hmm. yeah but yeah like, maybe maybe but it's. But it's strange to think, because, like, at the end, he isolates himself. Like, they're all looking for him. Zed! Yeah. Zed! Yeah. And he just ran off with Consuela. Yeah. <laughs> Which, I, I, I just want to say, I, I still see no sense in, like, why does he end up with her? It's like, there was this duel, but, and there was the tension, but still, it's like, eh, I, I'm not convinced.
4: <laughs> yeah, i that. I think that's that. the one
2: thing that's, like, uh, yeah, and just, I, I, I don't think that could ever work. Like I I can get like her not killing him. That I can get, but not them ending up together. That doesn't make yeah. sense to me.
0: Yeah, I think I think it definitely like in terms of like the narrative and the structure of the film, it's definitely setting up Zed and May to have a relationship.
3: Yes. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. From the beginning. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Cause she's the one that doesn't want to kill him. Yeah, yeah. And then yeah. we have that whole moment where they're like naked and in each other's arms and they're kissing.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. And then, like, that just kind of, like, she, she just gets, like, slotted out for Consuelo right there at the end, and that feels like... if Yeah, it feels like we needed another couple scenes of, like, like the yeah, scene but- where, where Consuelo's like, I'm going to torment him now, and then, like, uh, Zed <laughs> catches her hand. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, I felt like if we, if, we, if we needed a few more of those, like, intimate tension moments between the two to kind of, like, set up the payoff.
3: Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I, get, I get what you're all saying, and I do agree, but I think what you're forgetting is that by that point, Z, Sean Connery has such a powerful aura uh, that, that, that how could anybody resist, right? Yeah. <laughs> that's yeah true. But I, I not- keep forgetting that
0: he can turn back time with his brain. So, yeah. <laughs> he literally
3: yeah. does have to tell people to stay within my aura, otherwise, it's quite dark. I think that's my favorite line from the movie to see Sean Connery
0: and like, all of his like, hyper masculine seriousness that he can never shake. Just say "stay within my aura." <laughs> <laughs> it,
3: it, it's now. I now what I want is I want uh, Sean Connery's voice to do like um, a reading of a Marianne Williamson book, <laughs> talking about talking about orbs, talking about orbs, and, like
2: psychic energy. <laughs> but it's also the one scene where he's not in the mankini, because oh. he's with his sort of shoulder padded robe.
0: Yeah. Oh, we yeah. do. We do have kind of like the 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 taming the taming of the rapist trope there. Yeah, you know, he, he goes from that barely clad wild man with all these like uncaged masculine desires into like this kind of like uh, like he he's wearing like by the end of the movie he's wearing that like green frock kind of thing. And, and Which he's, shows up and he's only like, at that scene. Yeah, and, he, and he's like a, a committed, or at least like ba- based on that image, you know, like we we get the intimation that he never leaves the home. Or like you know, at least like his primary focus is is to be like a homemaker along with his partner and raising the child. So like I, I think like there's definitely like that trope kind of bears true by the end.
2: Yeah, like responsible husband.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah he he, go, he goes from like executioner maniac man to like dad.
2: <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> yeah, he has that sort of crisis where he's gonna shoot the prof and he's like, "Oh yeah, that's not me anymore."
4: Mm-hmm.
0: And yeah. then the
2: other exterminator shooter.
0: Yeah,
1: maybe that's what, what makes sense to him and Consuelo and I up together because they have become
0: like entities in the end.
2: Yeah, they're no longer themselves. Yeah,
4: mm-hmm. strange.
0: Oh, I love this mo- I love movies like this because there, there is just like like this movie is not handing you anything very easily, and it's giving you yeah. things that are yeah. at times simultaneously uh, uh, contrary. Yeah, and, yeah. and like. The, this is this is the kind of movie where it's like you're either gonna watch me and you're gonna you're gonna hate this film because you can't pierce it, or yeah. Like this this movie, like I saw this movie for the first time like a decade and a half ago, and like uh-huh. 15 years later, here I am still talking about this film. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah, like, and,
1: and I. Yeah, and I think even the the, style, the the type of conversation that we're having here is like contaminated with this kind of not grasping anything and talking about <laughs> things that we we suddenly begin to think about the things that we we ourselves are talking and yeah. being confused. <laughs> yeah,
2: you finish watching Zardos, but Zardos never finishes watching
0: you. <laughs> yeah, it always oh, is so <laughs> well yeah. put. Yeah. Yes, it always reveals
3: there is always more to this uh, epic. <laughs> Absolute mind trip of a film. Um, and it is so much more than just the memes. Please, it, it, if you haven't, if all you've seen of this uh, are those gifts of Sean Connery in his Fetching Mankini, do yourself a favor and watch Zardoz. It's
2: worth it. We promise. Yeah.
3: <laughs>
0: yeah, highly, highly worth it. This movie is intense.
4: Oh,
2: yeah. <laughs> it, like, for one example, like what uh, we don't know exactly what those crystal mirror triangles are, and why are there naked people lying uh,
0: inside of them <laughs> yeah. with water flowing through them? And also, like, why are people wrapped up in like in like little like Ziploc bags? Yeah, that's never explained either. Because <laughs> because they're yeah. inside Zardoz, they're inside the floating stone head, and there's tons yeah. of them in there. Like, why why are they with Arthur Frayn? What do they do inside yeah. of Zardoz? Is that a punishment? Like.
2: Or does Arthur or did Arthur frame had other plans? Is or are those else like the failed
0: plan? eugenic mutants before we get Zed?
2: Maybe.
4: Mm.
0: Oh man, this movie. Yeah. <laughs> this
2: movie. Yeah. It's a solemn horror vanguard and left page promise that this movie is worth watching. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Easily. Um oh, that was that was, that was a good conversation. Yeah. Oh, an amazing one, and one oh, of the most
0: funniest
3: conversations I've ever had.
0: <laughs> yeah, you two, you two are great. That was awesome. Shall we? Shall
3: we do a quick wrap up where we can plug uh, both the shows? Yeah,
0: let's plug and... everything. <laughs>
3: yes. <laughs> well, thank you so, so much for uh, joining us for listening in on this absolutely uh, bizarre, mind-expanding journey into the essential sexiness of Sean Connery's <laughs> chest hair. Uh, among some other things.
4: Uh, thank
3: you so much to our comrades from the left page for joining us. Uh, where can people find the show and support the incredible work that both of you are doing? Uh,
2: thank you so much both for having us and yeah, having this conversation. Been a,
1: it's been a pleasure. It's been really fun.
2: Yeah. Uh, it's, uh, as I spoke to John and Ash before, like thanks to John, he led me towards <laughs> left Twitter and podcasts. So this is full circle and it's amazing. And I'm still fanboying over it all, <laughs> 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 but you can find our show at on Twitter at, at Left Page Pod. Uh, I'm usually plugging stuff there, uh, plugging our various podcasts, and a couple of things I'll say on Twitter myself. Um, I am at KGB Frank as well, and Bruno is at uh, B- uh, C- S-
1: San Giorgio Bruno. It's S A N G I. Oh rgio bruno <laughs> and you yeah i can... need to change that for the love of christ <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah and you can find and support us on patreon uh on uh, patreon.com forward slash left page i checked this time because I, I was never sure if it was the left page or left page part on patreon but it's just left page yeah so there um we have a couple of things we've been uh, we've been slightly uh, late, but we've been putting out some content related to poetry, yeah. uh, which is quite fun and different, yeah. uh, and definitely out of my field. <laughs> <laughs> but Bruno is helpful, so that's great <laughs>
3: and fun. Uh, but if you have not, if you have not listened to the left page, I cannot recommend it highly enough. If you are interested in ideas in history in literature, uh, it's it's just such a good show, and it's so nice to see uh, more cultural criticism. Uh, on the left emerging into the kind of digital world um so as always you can find horror vanguard on twitter at horror vanguard and please do support the show at patreon.com slash horror vanguard ash and i are both on twitter as well uh terminally online uh never stop posting (laughs) that's that's the only way that we get through the day
0: (laughs) (laughs) we can never escape oh my god we're (laughs) eternals (laughs) oh my god we're we're imprisoned in the anhedonic world of posting on twitter
3: (laughs) oh god (laughs) until next time (laughs) goodbye until next time (laughs) everyone thank
0: you thank Thank you you so much thank you thanks for tuning in creeps and comrades and remember stay stay spooky
3: Wow, that is some graphic design is my passion sort of poster design that is a whole lot of big, hairy men in thigh high boots and i'm i a i have to admit that I am just a little a little disappointed that the original casting didn't um continue because i I deeply deeply want to see Burt Reynolds in a mankini with bandoliers and thigh high boots. I I want to see 1970s Burt Reynolds running around wearing a giant orange nappy. <laughs> I have been recording for the last
0: few minutes. Damn. All right, well, I am now recording. There we go. <laughs> so am I. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, we're well established now. We we know we know the direction of this episode, and it's just horny on main for Sean Connery and Zardos.
2: Um, this is definitely going as a final take. <laughs> horny on main for Zardos <laughs> and Horny <laughs> Sh- for main with for Sean Connery on Zardos. Yep. Yeah.
3: That's. I, I think that's your episode title right there. I've got to be honest. <laughs> right. Yeah. There we
0: go. Yeah. yeah.
3: Oh, it, it can get
0: Writes better. Itself. <laughs> Can it though? <laughs> Who knows? We'll see. God, this is like a crossover. Yeah, yeah The yeah. leftist
4: <laughs> podcast expanded universe. <laughs> Whoa. This is.